Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Another excited installment of In Soccer, we trust your three favorite U.S. Men's National Team players of all time. Mm-hmm. Charlie Davies, Heath Pierce, and myself, Jimmy Conrad, are here with the best podcast around the beautiful game as it pertains to U.S. soccer overall. And we're going to hand out our awards today for World Cup qualifying. But we have to start with some bad news, fellas. we got to start with the news mm. that Gio Reyna is hurt once again. And Heath, I'm going to come to you first on this. Is it Gio Reyna's fault, or can we start putting blame on Borussia Dortmund's physios? They're 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 people that are supposed to be taking care of him. It, it just doesn't seem to be working. They seem to have a lot of injuries this particular season. What say you, Heath Pierce? You know, I, and and I actually really want Charlie's take on this because he went through so much physically to get back to the level that 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 he played at um, after his accident. But for me, as I went through my career, I started to realize over time just how human uh the people you are dealing with around you you know you, when you grow up as a kid you you listen to adults uh as if it's the gospel and everything is right and as you become adult you start to realize over time that people are doing their best but they don't always have the answer necessarily and it made it made me it caused a lot of trust issues for me with trainers coaches things like that throughout my career because you start to question like oh yeah motive and intent but obviously with regard to Gio Reyna in this one They've got plenty of resources to get him to the best doctors. Germany has some of the best doctors in the world, mm-hmm. the best specialists in the world, and I'm sure he's gone through all of those. But biomechanically, I'm sure he's just got some sort of issues where his body is, you know, we've obviously seen him over the last few years sprout up into being a very tall flower um, <laughs> and, and a, a, you know, a tall drink of water, as they would say. Uh, and, and, and his body has gone through a lot of changes, and now they're trying to identify what those are. The, the, the problem for me was that, they, they basically said that we found it, you know, and it was like, we found the issue. And I've never heard somebody come out on an issue and say, we found it. Like we identified <laughs> the root of the problem. We've solved that problem. And now we're good. And I was shocked. I've literally in my entire life, never heard somebody sort of identify the root because, you know, sports science is so fluid of, you know, compensation and wh- where you're feeling and where it's actually coming from on your body could be a million different things. And so when they were like, we got him. Uh, I was kind of shocked, Charlie. I don't know for you, you know, uh, if, if, if you have any similar stories or anecdotes <clears throat> to be able to share around that. Yeah. I mean, when I look at Gio Reyna, he, he's a young player. He, he, he has the world in front of him. He's playing next to a striker in Holland who has been floated with, with the world's best clubs, right? You, he's on this trajectory, I think, similar to Holland, not at that same level, but he's a world superstar for his age. Everyone in the world recognizes him for the quality that he has. You're hungry. You're determined. You want to be at that level. You want to be considered uh, with the likes of Phil Foden and, you know, uh, even Jude Bellingham and, and some of these, these top young players in the world. I've been there where you have an injury and it derails you mm-hmm. and you have a couple of setbacks. Now, the problem is we don't know why this is happening to Gio Reyna. But but what we do know is any young player, any player who does go through the injury process, you're rushing to get back. The physios can only do so much. They can they can say, this is your game plan. This is how we get you there. But as a player, you're always pushing the limit. You're towing the limit. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in his case, like any player, 
you, you, you want to get back to 100% match fitness, 90 minutes, every single match, playing every minute. And sometimes you, you push yourself over the limit because you get carried away and you get lost in it. It's so easy to get lost mm-hmm. in it. But it, I mean, it's partially the, the the trainer's job, right, or the staff's job to protect the player from themselves. Because like you would play ninety minutes every day you. if you could. Yeah, but they can't control you. Ultimately, they can tell you do this X Y Z, but you're always going to push for more. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's the the tough part, with, especially with young, younger players, is what? they they don't know the limits. They haven't been through. Yeah. You know, if, if they're in their 30s, then you're saying, okay, I can pump the brakes. I can take the rest of the season off. But as a youngster, you, you're not hearing those words. It goes in one ear, out the other, because yeah. you're hungry and you're motivated and you don't know kind of the the patience process is the most important part of, of the recovery. And you have no control over that, only time. And that's really tough to understand and digest as a younger player. No question. Uh, I got three things for everybody. First, apparently, Borussia Dortmund are going to part ways with their longtime physio, Thomas Zetzman, at the end of the season, according mm. to Sky Germany. So They do have a lot of injuries, by the way. Dortmund a ton, a ton, a ton. Second, it's clear that Heath Pierce did at a Holiday Inn Express last night because the guy's spouting out doctor stuff, so I appreciate that. <laughs> He's Dr. Heath Pierce. <laughs> Dr. Hollywood Heath Pierce right now. And then third, I actually wanted to get into the mind-body connection because – is there some stress going on in his life off the field that might be impacting what's happening on the field? And and maybe to add to your point, Charlie, is is the stress coming from him just trying to do too much too soon? Now, I'm going to give everybody a personal story that I went through, but I was more of a grown-ass man at this point. But but I got a call from Bob Bradley ahead of the 2007 Gold Cup in Copa America. We were on the phone, and as you know with Bob, they're never five-minute conversations. They're about 45 minutes long. And... Ultimately, he asked me if, if I would play in both tournaments over the summer. So I'd be gone for probably eight weeks away from my family. And my, my wife, who hadn't had a baby yet prior to that call, we had our first baby uh, about three weeks later. And at that point, once the baby came around, we were collectively, my wife and I, like this is a long time to be away, uh, especially with a newborn and, and just that adjustment from having zero kids to one kid and putting all that pressure on my wife to, yeah, you got it. No problem. I'm going to go out and live my dream. You just, you take care of the kid, you know? And so I had my own guilt and stress that was involved with that. Now, prior to me going with the gold cup team, I pulled my hamstring in, in Denver. Now you guys know that I took good care of myself. I did a lot of yoga. I was very thoughtful about taking care of my body and trying to extend my career for as long as possible. I never got hamstring strains, but I actually believe it was due to the stress that I was under mentally that ultimately led to a physical, a physical ailment that, that I think solved my problem. I couldn't go to the gold cup and I played in the Copa America. So I wonder, do you think there's any mind body connection there? Hollywood Heath that might be happening. Dr. Hollywood Heath, excuse me. Uh, I know you worked hard for that. Yeah. 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 That's uh, you know, I went to school my whole life to be a doctor. Uh, <laughs> so please put that in my name, but I, I think there for sure. There's the, but the, what uh, is it though? He's only 19. I mean, it, but clearly he's on this mission and age. I don't think has to do with, uh, I think every day is a day towards where he wants to go. And now he's starting to have these setbacks. And especially when you're 19, you've never had to go through this stuff. Generally, at 19, right? You bounce back so quick. You never have real, real long setbacks. You're even if you get injuries when you're a youth player, you kind of it's all sort of a, a blur from my youth era. And I remember the, getting injured at times, but for the most part, you don't stretch, you don't warm up, you don't blah blah. blah you kind of at, that that comes when you're older. Uh, and now he's having to sort of step into this realm at 19 years old and go through these constant injuries where he wants to be on the field. I know he's got this 2022 World Cup in the back of his mind. I know he's got this. Uh, could be potentially the best U.S. player ever in the back of his mind. I, that's all, I mean, we've said all that about him. So, of course, he's carrying this stress to see these setback after setback after setback at just his age. And now, now we're starting to say, well, like, can he ever be fully fit? You know, we put Christian Pulisic into this injury concern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he's always mm-hmm. injured. He's always injured. That's not a, something somebody wants to deal with. So I, I guarantee you there's a lot of emotional, mental stress. I mean, he, he's crying when he gets injured. Right. I mean, that, is, that shows everything. I would say it's more of a rough patch. Because if it's a player who's getting multiple injuries in, in different types of injuries, then you're like, okay, this is a player who just can't escape injury because it seems to just always follow him. This is just an isolated incident. This is a hamstring, and it's the same hamstring. So what it comes down to is recovery time. 
strengthening, recovery, not pushing it. Mm-hmm. And and that's a long process. Mm-hmm. It's not something that it's a long, four, longer it's a, than we ever give ourselves. That's for yeah, sure. It's, it's, yeah. It, you know, a hamstring. Okay. What's the prognosis? Five, five, six to eight weeks and, and you're good to go. But it's not six to eight weeks. It's so much longer than that because there's that maintenance that you have to constantly do for, it could be up to a year on that hamstring. And then you've got to look at compensation as, as other parts of my body compensating for the weakness in this hamstring. And then how's your left quad? How's your glutes? Maybe there's other parts of your body that's affecting the hamstring. There's so much that goes into it. And I think this is just a period where it's not going to last. He's going to grow from it. I think he's going to learn a ton about his body, but also a ton, a ton about what it means to be a professional athlete and the patience you have to give yourself. I am certain that once he gets over this hump, we're not going to be talking about injuries with Gio Reyna. I, I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Jimmy, I got, I got one. I got one yeah, to shoot. add one one thing on this real quick, and I know we don't want to sit on this for too long, but uh, well, I think it speaks as, to a lot of our players. It's not yeah. just Gio Reyna. It's Pulisic, Timo Weah seems to get hurt a lot. Conrad yeah. De La Fuente is now out for the season with Marseille. I know he's not really been in the pool lately, but he's still on the fringes. If he made a good run, yeah. I think Greg would call him back in. But now he's hurt till the end of the season. Yeah. It's interesting. Go ahead. When, when, when you're injured, right, you're always looking for answers. Like, I just want somebody to fundamentally tell me what is wrong with this. Mm-hmm. And when you start to go get more opinions, like when I got traded from one team to the next and I ended up having hip surgery and I needed on the other hip as well, uh, which I elected not to do at the time. But when I ended up having hip surgery, I was on my third team by that point that was like, oh, it's your hamstring. You know, you got to strengthen your hamstrings. Oh, it's your lower back. You got to strengthen your back. You got to strengthen your core. Oh, yeah, this is actually coming. This is isolated into your hamstrings. And everybody's telling you all these things because everybody has a different opinion on what is wrong with you. And mm-hmm. so when you're Gio Reyna, 19 years old, somebody's declared, I've got the solution to your problems. And you buy fully into that only to be let down. I mean, imagine the emotional exhaustion that goes in with that, not only with your, yourself, as Charlie mentioned, with compensation. Right. You start now he's going to you start to feel a little something somewhere and you go, man, is this related to my hamstring? Is this so, like you? Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the men, one side of the mental. The other one is just the trust, trusting in the medical staff, the team around you, the people that are telling you things that you have to like when you go into rehab, you got to fully buy in. Because if you're second guessing, you're 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 going to let yourself down and you're not going to go all the way through it. But that also means you got to buy into somebody who's more educated than you. I mean, we've gone through this the last couple of years of having to listen to people who are more educated than us on all kinds of things around the world. But like you have to be willing to buy into that. And I think that's uh, for, for me, looking back at my career was one of the biggest stresses that I had is having to believe somebody who told me something that didn't work out. Now I got to believe them or believe somebody like that again. Well, you want to believe as well because you want there to be a solution. You want there yeah. to be something concrete that you can work towards. And, and it's not that straightforward to your point. What's interesting is when you're saying that, it's funny how they'll talk to you about what's wrong with you physically. Hey, you got this, or you're doing this wrong, or we should be working on this. But what they don't actually tell you, when I look back on my 12 years as a professional, they don't ever talk to you about, hey, emotionally, mentally, you're a little unstable. Can you cope with adversity? They never say that to your face. They're saying that behind your back in the mm-hmm. coach's office. It's like, ah, he's got a hamstring, but I think the guy's having some stuff off the field. And, and I wonder about the mental side Mm-hmm. And how maybe that should be approached. I don't know if that's changing. It's been a while since uh, all of us have been in locker rooms. I assume it is because the conversation is getting bigger. But there is some stigma still around mental health. And, and mental health is part of the equation as it pertains to, to injury, as I just mentioned with my own story back in the day. So, Charlie, I'm going to throw this to you. You know, how, how important was not only the physical confidence that comes from knowing that you've got a solution, you've got a track that you believe in, but also – the mental component and knowing that this is actually the right way to go forward because that will also, that goes hand in hand. Well, I think initially too, if, if I was relying on, on, on some of the opinion, medical opinions that I had, people said, I'm never going to be able to play again. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So there is always going to be uh, ones that are, are much more cautious versus the ones that are much more optimistic. And, I think for me, it was, I believe in myself. I know I can get back on the field. I know I can still have success and score goals, even though it may see, seem unlikely, as unlikely as it seems right now, I, I know I'll eventually get there. And then it, it came into, man, you really had a, a terrible brain bleed, a, a, a bad brain injury. Maybe this isn't you know something that you can do uh, physically because if you bump your head or something, or maybe you can't remember how to do certain things, uh, 
So there, there's a lot that goes into it. I will say the support system is the most valuable portion of the re- rehabilitation because sometimes you really want to push and you, you just can't do it. Physically, you can't do it. You need to have someone there who's going to support you and say, you know what? It's going to come. You have to stay positive. Mm-hmm. And I was so fortunate during my time. I have all these things going on. I, I, I basically fabricated to myself that I could make the World Cup team in, in 2010. And, you know, I couldn't even walk. And, and I'm telling myself, I can I can make that roster. And, and so the, the I think the initial three months after that, it was just pushing, pushing. I would be crying. I'd be, you know, sweating. I'd be in so much pain. But all of that felt like it was necessary if I was going to meet those goals. And at the end of the day, I always had my wife. I had um, Hashimoto, James Hashimoto, and, and I had Aguchanyewu and, and Stu Holden. It, and it ended up being those four people throughout the whole process giving me that constant support, along with the fans, because that makes a big difference. If you're a fan and you're sending in tweets, I read every single tweet that was out throughout that whole time. And all, I always fed off of that positive energy. I always fed off of them with, you know, sending their well wishes and hoping, hoping for the best. And yeah, it I'm makes telling me you right wonder, now, that makes yeah. a big difference. It really does. Support system is everything. And that's what keeps players going. And it keeps players staying positive and not doubting themselves because it's so easy to doubt. Um, through the so what do you say about, I mean, there's so much uh, to, to get into with your story. and, and um, But but let's, uh, let's go to the tail end of it first. With regard to social media, I mean, when the players, because they're human beings, just like you were when you're going through your difficult time, they're reading the same stuff. But when they go on and see that, you know, the fan base thinks they're crap or whatever, I assume you think or know, you, you guys both know a lot of the players. It has to impact these guys. Charlie? They read it. They read every word. If, if, if that wasn't clear enough from Christian with the man in the mirror, hold mirror in the mirror t-shirt, the whole, you know, people tell me I didn't mean to do that on purpose, that first touch, you know, of course I did. They read everything. Mm-hmm. And it was the same way when we played. We read everything. It's, we didn't necessarily address everything, but we read everything, and, and it either empowered you and motivated you to prove people wrong, or in some cases, when you got the positive news, you're like, I feel good today because people are talking about my performance, and I did really well. And, you know, you could tell around the locker room, certain guys that were, you know, walking on their toes and feeling good is because you read the same thing that they did. It was a, a positive piece about their performance, mm-hmm. and it was evident. So I think these same players – when, when things are going well, they're reading that, but they're also reading if it's a draw or, you know, it was a win, but it was a narrow win and it wasn't good enough. They're reading that as well. And, and right. you could tell they're, they're owning it too. It's, it's not something they're running from. They're owning it. Yeah. Yeah. Heath, I, this generation of players, obviously walking into more landmines, I'd say on the media front than, than when we were got, when we were coming up because they're just social media wasn't as evolved and as mature as it is now. I don't know. Evolved might not be the right word, but but because <laughs> I don't know if it's evolved or not. It seems like it's devolved into more negativity than, than I think what it set out to do when it first got started. But but these guys seem to know that this is just part of the job now. They're still human beings at the end of the day. You know, do, do you think that uh, not to say that people need to be I mean, there was an issue in Kansas City, Johnny Russell, captain of Kansas City. They lost this past weekend in Nashville FC. Some fans were like, you guys got to do better, essentially from what I'm hearing. I'm paraphrasing here. You know, pick it up. This isn't good enough. And Johnny Russell went into the stands and confronted him. And, and uh, you know, the fans, I read a statement from them saying, hey, we're not just going to hide behind some anonymous social media handles. We're going to tell it to your face. And, and it wasn't good enough. And it hasn't been good enough. And uh, Johnny Russell took exception to it and, and went into the stands. Um, do you think we're going to see more of that? Do you think it's just – I mean, what do you, what do you think this – how this – I don't even know where my question is there. This is very yeah, deep no, to me. But, but yeah, yeah. yeah, no, no. I think I think we are going to continue to see more of that. I think the the, the voice of, of the athlete is going to increase. I think, therefore, the voice of the fa- – I mean, we're just at an era where it's no longer TV talking. I mean, look what we're doing now, right? We're, we're running on a live chat where it's no longer us talking at somebody in a linear television setting where people could then go to their forums and whatever to talk amongst themselves or talk whatever. This big, is a – Big soccer. This is yeah. This isn't this isn't the big soccer big soccer blogs. Like this is a two way conversation. The world is uh, globalized now, and everything is two way. And so that comes with the responsibility of the athlete. It also comes with well, not responsibility, but the the um, 
uh, I guess, the luxury for the athlete to be able to speak directly and 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 uh, amplify their voice directly. But it also means the fans want to amplify their voice because they're a paying ticket member that want to be entertained and have a certain standard. Now, obviously, there's a big gray area in the middle there of where it goes wrong. But I think that's going to continue uh, to increase. But as Charlie mentioned, they they read it, they see it, uh, and that can be something that you know people you know, pound their chest and try to act like they're bulletproof, but some people it affects negatively other people, personality types, you know, they feed off of that negative energy and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it, there's no one-stop shop or answer for any of that. Yeah. Well, in the off chance that you haven't heard me say this before, everybody hit like, and subscribe, leave us some comments here on the YouTubes, hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. If you're really enjoying the content that is coming out of our collective mouths on any podcast platform that you like to listen to your podcast now let's keep it in germany u.s men's national team related tyler adams is someone we've discussed does he need to make a move this upcoming summer should he stay at rb leipzig well mm -hmm. who are we to say anything about it we had our very own luis miguel echegaray on the kegolasso podcast shout out to them make sure you're subscribing to them as well and he had fabrizio romano the transfer guru on to answer this very question about tyler adams let's take a look at it now Adams, Fabrizio Romano, to me, the most important player for the American side, definitely in recent years. I know Pulisic, I know Gio Reyna, Brendan Harrison, but Tyler Adams puts everything together. But he's kind of fallen down the pecking order at Leipzig. What's going on with him? Is there any interest, do you think, from any other clubs? He was a player on the list of Arsenal last January, but then was not a concrete option because Arsenal decided to wait till the summer before sending him a midfielder. He's always had a lot of interest around him from the Premier League. So I'm sure in the summer he could have some possibility to join some Premier League club or maybe Bundesliga club. Let's see what happens. But I see him on the move in the summer, honestly. Uh, he deserves to play. He's a really talented player, as you mentioned. So he's already people for him, of course, agents exploring the market. And so I'm sure that he has good chances to move in the summer, even because, as you mentioned, with Leipzig, they have different kind of plans with midfielders. And maybe he's not a regular starter. Let's see what happens with the manager. But at the moment, Domenico Tedesco is in full control of the club. They're happy with him. Let's see what happens in the game with Atalanta, because it's going to be really important for his future, too. But at the moment, for, for Tyler Adams, there is a good possibility, I think, for him to move in the summer. And let's see what happens with, with Premier League clubs. All right, great insight there from Fabrizio Romano and our very own Luis Miguel Echegaray in the Kego Lasso podcast. I can't uh, iterate enough how much we want you to subscribe to them doing some great stuff and have been for a couple of years now. Charlie, I'm coming to you, Tyler Adams. We've tap danced around this. We've actually probably swam in these waters before with our little tiny trunks and all that good stuff. You showing off your quads because that's what Charlie Davies does. But uh, talk to us about Tyler Adams and if he does legitimately make a move and and – we have Fab there saying the Premier League. Where would he go where he could get those minutes that I think we all Leeds. and know that he deserves? Leeds? <laughs> Everybody's going to Leeds. Come on. That's yeah, true. Every, Americans just American. is linked to is linked to Leeds. But let's let's maybe leave mm -hmm. Leeds out of it. Where else would you like to see him? You know, I would have said Arsenal, but it, it is um it's a team that I think is is too much in flux. You have players coming in and out of the lineup. There's nothing that speaks consistency when I'm looking at Arsenal right now. You know, they have a young group of players and talented group, but I think the, the pressure to win is so immense there that it might not be the best fit for him. Because but isn't that what we want of our players is those situations? Yes, but I think it's case specific. And okay. in Tyler Adams' case, you don't really need to worry about his ambition and his and his work ethic and him being pushed he's never been a player that's going to be i'm sitting on my high horse i've already made it and i'm, I'm making i'm all about salary and no that's not tyler adams tyler adams is is the work the engine room of the u.s men's national team he needs to be playing consistently but he also needs to be protected right we, we've seen when he overdoes it because he covers so much ground that if a manager is not in tune with with how Tyler Adams plays and, and kind of the demands that sometimes require him to take a rest or a break, then the Premier League, when they're playing even more games than they are in the Bundesliga, might not be the best fit, at, at least the clubs that are playing in a, multiple competitions, like in right. Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Man U, you know, those, those top clubs. So in saying that, I could see him – make a, another move to La Liga. I could see him playing in La Liga. I could see him playing on another Bundesliga club, although less likely. Uh, a, a lower Premier League team, maybe a Wolves, 
would be a, a place where I could see him jumping in and, and performing and doing well there. Anything um, in Serie A? We got Felix saying maybe Serie A. Serie A would also be a great league for him because again, you want to continue to learn and develop because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we're never we're never done learning and developing. But especially in Serie A, where it's all about tactics and being tactically sound. That would be a great spot for him because we know he can get go everywhere, but it's got to be controlled. And I think in Syria, that would be a, a great step in the right direction for him. Okay, Heath, your thoughts on Tyler Adams? Any teams that stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, when I think about the league, I just think about the secondary top tier team, right? I think about uh, a, a potential for a Marseille or a Lyon when you think about them, generally speaking, and what he could do at the level that he can play at. When I think about Italy, I think about. Yeah, maybe it's a little more chaotic than Charlie would like, but in Atalanta and the way that Tyler can cover ground mm-hmm. and put out mm-hmm. fires and be able to play in that a little bit of more of a chaotic type of environment. Roma, maybe in terms of the size, like I'm thinking more like size of the club, not necessarily club specific, because I think they're, they they might um, find themselves, you know, potentially out of Europe next year. Who knows yeah, um, yeah. as well, but same with Atalanta, but it could be a good situation for for Tyler on the Atalanta front. Premier League, again, I like, I like the Wolves shout. I like Crystal Palace. I actually do like Leeds as well in terms of the way that they play. Yeah, You're getting yeah. more on the chaotic side, which is maybe playing into uh, Tyler's strengths and not necessarily the strengths of what he could develop if he was in a more uh, tactical uh, environment where he was a little bit kind of changing his style to, that could fit some of the strengths of his games and the weaknesses to kind of make him a better player, as Charlie was mentioning as well. Um, I Crystal Palace, by the way, with Patrick Vieira. What, yeah, what a that would be that. great. He has MLS experience. I mean, they played. He played against them with New York City FC. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he's familiar with Tyler Adams, and that familiarity goes a long way. Plus, he, he's he knows how to develop players. Wait, wait, hear me out. Player. Hear me, hear me out. I like that shout a lot. I do think that Crystal Palace might have some players already in that position. But Leicester City, hear me out. Leicester City, they went and identified uh, a holding midfielder a long time ago who ended up doing great things, naming Golo Conte, giving him an opportunity to showcase his skills on, on a bigger platform. They now have Wilford and Didi, who they have done the same thing with, and now he's a very desirable CDM that I think could make a move this summer. So if you lost in Didi, they have uh, Bubakari Samare, 23-year-old, but he hasn't necessarily lit it up in that one spot. I think Tyler Adams – imagine if Tyler Adams could play with Leicester, assuming their back four gets a little healthier in this, this, this summer. And then he's got Tielemans off his shoulder, Madison, Harvey Barnes. He's playing to Jamie Vardy. I'm just – I like that setup in front of him. Now – defensively I have some concerns with that but then you got Casper Schmeichel and goal like it's just a nice solid team and if Brendan Rodgers stays I think there's a nice consistency there Leicester City for me would be an interesting choice now obviously I agree with you guys at Leeds and everybody else is saying Leeds is a nice fit as well with his style and yeah the but Jimmy those names cover. are the same as like a Schlup or Coyote uh Coyote at, at a Crystal Palace in terms of like sure you're gonna, sure. You're gonna be competing with it we're, we're not talking about we're not talking about Watford and Norwich you no, know what I mean? no, we're I talking know, about really solid middle table to upper middle table pushing Europa. Like I think Crystal Palace mm-hmm. are one or two signings away from being in European contention and turning yep. their million draws into wins. But like same with a Leicester City leads to some extent in terms of the size of the club. I mean, you're going to be competing yeah. and but you're not going to be competing in a sense where at an Arsenal, as Charlie mentioned, like you might find yourself out of the team for months and it might be because of things you can control, but it also might not be because mm-hmm, of things mm-hmm. you can control, you know, right. No, Unless you're very, fair. very, very good. No, that's fair. That's fair. Well, we're excited to see how it goes. And obviously, we'll keep Fabrizio Romano on the case as he does. That's why he's one of the best in the business at the transfer stuff. All right, everybody. We're going to take a quick first break and our only break. And then afterwards, we are going to do our awards for World Cup qualifying as it pertains to the U.S. men's national team. So do not go anywhere. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to In Soccer. We trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davis and Heath Pierce. And now we're going to get into our awards for World Cup qualifying, the U.S. Men's National Team edition. Now, here is the order, okay? We're going to do breakout star through these 14 games, best individual performance, best collective performance, best moments, MVP, best goal, and best utility player. I assume there's going to be some caveats to some of these in terms of who we voted for. I don't know what Charlie voted for. I don't know what Heath, and I don't think that you guys know who I voted for. So we're kind of all walking into this uh, pretty blind. But uh, producer Alex is going to throw up, well, first the order that everybody can see that I just mentioned. But breakout star. Charlie, I'm going to come to you first. Your breakout star for this World Cup qualifying campaign, the first time we've qualified for a World Cup in eight years. Yes, it's Yunus Musa for me. Um, oh, nice, nice. nice. Well nice done, Yunus. You know well done, Yunus. Well done. Well deserved. He, he's, he's the breakout star in the sense that you, you looked at Nations League and he didn't touch the field. And, and I always thought, oh, wow, you know, this is a player who, who committed from, from possibly playing for England and he's playing at Valencia and he's starting mm -hmm. and he's not even cracking the lineup. And I thought I thought I was confused by that because I'm like, this player is a game changer. He's different than your than your typical American midfielder. And so it took him uh, World Cup qualifying to get his opportunity, and, and he never looked back. Everyone has loved his quality, his technique, his style, and and how he can break the lines on the dribble. It's rare for a midfielder that we have um, that can win the ball and and then use his acceleration and burst of pace to to change speed, get through the midfield, and then connect connect uh, passes. So for me, he is a certified star, and and he's the breakout one for the U.S. Men's National Team. I love that choice, Yunus Musa. Oh man, he is. Uh, if he isn't a cult hero already, he's already he's uh, he is for us. But but I love that you 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 singled him out, Heath. How about you? Uh, I went with Walker Zimmerman just because we started to see consistency in the team, at least defensively, when he came in. Obviously, was another guy got called in late after an injury to, I think, Tim Ream and wasn't part of the plans, couldn't get a sniff, was doing his job at the Major League Soccer level, and then came in and just never looked back. And so to me, as a breakout star, obviously, I would generally tend to lean towards attackers, and I think Yunus Moose is a fantastic shout. Uh, I, I've, I may or may not have voted for him for something else later on. Um, but wow, that's a tease. But uh, Walker Zimmerman for me is just one that I think we've now found at least our identity as a backline. Right, we're not going to be necessarily playing through or breaking lines with passing. We're a little bit more traditional, but at least we know what we are there. And I, I think going into that with John Anthony Brooks uh, and and Aaron Long in the past, and then Robinson and just the carousel of players. I know we've had that everywhere, but. To me, that was just a really important step for the national team is to find that person that was going to step up and take a spot and never look back. And I think he's done that. Yeah, that's a good choice as well. I might have nominated him for something a little bit different. Oh, another tease. I went with Brendan Aronson. And I think he broke out because coming into qualifying, not that a lot wasn't expected of him. Obviously, he was uh, showing well for, for RB Salzburg. But it's the fact that we lost Gio Reyna for a significant amount of time. We lost Christian Pulisic for a significant mm -hmm. amount of time. And not only was it Brendan Aronson who stepped up, I think Timo Weah is very close to being the breakout star. Anthony Robinson, I think, could be in that conversation as well. Guys that kind of owned it, took responsibility, filled the void that we thought we were going to have, and stepped up and made some big plays. He, he scored and, and ultimately created that goal against Canada at home by himself just by some good awareness and some backtracking, which I think gave him some confidence. He scored in the second half against, against Honduras the next game. He was influential against Jamaica at home, and he really got us some vital wins and some yeah. vital points, especially when we were missing some big guys. I think we might, in some ways, have some recency bias because he wasn't part of the last window, and Reyna and Pulisic were in. But he wasn't great the window before that either, by the he way. He wasn't. He wasn't. That's why, because I, I, I literally, these were my three people that I was thinking through, and I was like, Musa, yeah, I don't know, Brendan Aronson, Certainly the first half and also over the last year in terms of just like this guy that no one expected to become like potentially a sure starter. And then Timo Weah came along and sort of shifted the the dynamic of that. I, I Yeah, those are all good. I mean, there's there's plenty of players we could have chosen here. And that's what I think makes this award so interesting. If you guys want to hit us up on Twitter, ISWT pod on Twitter, let us know who you think was your breakout star or any of these awards. 
Let us know. We'd like to hear your thoughts. And of course, on the YouTube, hit us up in the comments. I, I just, there's something about Brendan Aronson because there was a big fear from us in particular, like, man, no Pulisic, no Reyna. We're in trouble. And we had some players step up. And I just thought that he made some big plays and big games for us. So mm. that's who I went with. But I'm glad that we, like I'm glad that they're not all the same. I'm glad that they were, this is spread around because I think it speaks, Charlie, to the diversity of our team and that we can start to rely on more players than living in, or dying with, with one performance in Christian Pulisic. You know? Agreed. I, I guess my thing is if they're a breakout star, which means they're a star on the Espen's national team, when they're at their best, they're starting. I don't mm -hmm. think that Brent Aronson will be starting if he's at his best and, and everyone else is healthy. I think Venus Musa. Charlie hates the U.S. men's national team. Charlie hates <laughs> and, and Brennan Aronson, and obviously. Aronson. Charlie, if you just could develop a number nine, we could all agree on that being the breakout star, okay? It could have been Ricardo Pepe. It was for like three weeks. <laughs> uh, but just do your job, Charlie, so we can all just go into this award show just giving this one player everything, like U.S. soccer awards. Yeah, you got it. And, and Walker Zimmerman, same thing. If Miles Robinson is at his best and Walker Zimmerman is at his best, Who's who's the get who's number one pendant? And then you throw in Chris Richards, you throw in Mark McKenzie, who we haven't seen, but we both know when he's playing at his best, like we saw in Major League Soccer, he is unmistakably done. You got to throw John Brooks in that conversation, Aaron. John Locke. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. John Wait, Brooks. So are you one. suggesting that Walker Zimmerman's not a sh like he? You, you think that no, no, would start Robinson uh, no. over Zimmerman? No, no, I'm just asking you the question. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think Walker Zimmerman's the first guy you put in that back line right now um, mm -hmm. at, at his best because his game is predictable, because he's consistent. Obviously, there's certain aspects of his game that I would love to have John Anthony Brooks's feet or the speed of a, uh, of a Miles Robinson and those types of things. But I don't think Miles Robinson can lead that back line if you put him next to Mark McKenzie or put him next to whatever. Mm -hmm. I think Walker Zimmerman has decided, I own this back line. I am what I am. I am who I am. And and the team has gotten better because of that predictability, even if it's not the world-class level or a higher level or the potential that I see in some of our other defenders, no, which could have a higher well upside. Said, well said. Well said. All right, let's move on to the next one. Best individual performance. And Charlie, you get to go first. It's it's the hat trick versus Panama for Christian Pulisic. And the reason why that is the best individual performance for me is because that's that's what got them the World Cup spot. Mm -hmm. That performance, he needed to come up big. You could have said coming off the bench and, and scoring, you know, the, the goal against Mexico, the game winner in the Dos Zero match. You could you could have said what Heath said, Ricardo Pepe, um, you know, scoring the goals against Jamaica or in the second half coming in against Honduras. Uh, but for me, it was the exclamation point on World Cup qualifying. And it had to be from your best player. And it, and it had to be a significant moment for the group to kind of rally around and also kind of give him a little bit belief and trust that he is the leader. He is going to perform when the, when the team needs him to, when the country's depending on him to get us to another world cup and not to have the same failures of 2018 cycle. And he did it. And so for me, that's why this is the best individual performance. Yeah, Charlie, I agree with you. I have the same thing. Not only for all the reasons you mentioned, but he wore the captain's armband. And we'd seen in the past that sometimes he doesn't play as well when he's got that piece of cloth around his arm. It's like he's thinking about, and this is a good thing to have as a captain. You're thinking about everybody but yourself, but sometimes you want your attacking players just thinking, just score, baby. Just, just create goals. That's all that really matters. Leave the leadership and trying to raise the game of everybody else to somebody else, maybe a little bit farther behind the field. They can see the whole field, blah, blah, blah. But I love that he took on that responsibility and he stepped up and he, and he demonstrated why he's our best player. And I thought that was really important, not only for the team, but for him in particular, and obviously booking our ticket to the World Cup as we were 99.9% .9 sure, but so sure that we rolled out a qualified banner because why wouldn't we do that? Mission accomplished, everybody, even though we didn't necessarily get there yet. Anyway, we got there in the end, but I thought it was a fantastic performance. It's not easy to step up and take penalties in big moments. It's not easy to continue to push the game when it and try to make things happen in, in a way with his type of, mentality and i feel like he he we'd seen in other other moments in this window where he was a little unsure of himself so it's nice to see when he's playing on the front foot and being a protagonist and i thought that was a good example of it and obviously the stakes were so high for him to show up in that uh was very very cool all right heath you uh since me and charlie agreed on on a couple things i don't think you're with us on this no i mean i i think that's a, a fantastic shout because again I, i've got it later on just the the, the magnitude of that game is so convincing that 
It's an incredibly courageous moment. And that's actually what I'm pulling from with Ricardo Pepe against Honduras to score at his age with how little experience he had for the U.S. to come back from behind. And it was a team effort. But but the effort and and the performance he put into that game, which really, I think, potentially saved Greg Berhalter's job. Maybe not. Maybe they were never thinking about that. But it was in a dire moment where everybody was getting the flashbacks of 2018 of going, man, this is going to be this is going to be a gigantic disaster being down 1-0 uh, for him to score that goal. And obviously, I... Individual performance maybe wasn't so much that match. Had two goals against Jamaica uh, soon after. And and so uh, I think probably I'm putting it all into one sort of recency bias window inside of my head. But I think that one against Honduras, I just wanted to give credit to that because that was a, a very tricky place to play, as we all know. A very difficult game being down one. And, of course, other people scored in the U.S. and ended up kind of running away with that. But I think just for Ricardo Pepe, it was a breakout moment for a player that a lot of people were 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 questioning and still continue to question. He showed some flashes there that I think are worth uh, the award for me. Okay, and I respect that. There were he scored some big goals and big moments, and I think that's super important as we look back on on all of this with uh, with the dust settled in some ways. So it's not like we're in that moment and we're feeling a certain type of emotion. We can look back on everything with a smile on our face because we qualified. All right, let's go to best collective moment. I'll go first. Here, best collective performance. And I'm going to say the 0-0 draw at Mexico. And everybody's like, oh, my God, so boring. Why are you going 0-0? What are you doing? And listen, I just thought going down <laughs> that, to Azteca. Is, you, is that Charlie? You're doing that, Charlie? I was, yeah, that's my best Charlie impression. <laughs> but, but, but I just loved our performance. And we created two chances to win that game. And we didn't, we didn't do it. But that aside, it's not easy to create those clear-cut chances in Azteca. I thought that our back line, and this is me kind of geeking out on, on team shape, but we didn't drop too deep. We never got too high. We never let ourselves get too exposed. Didn't really give up too many clear-cut opportunities. Everybody was up for it. That was the game where everybody's questioning whether we should roll out our best team because we should save all of it for Panama. But it ended up being the best thing we could have done because that point proved to be very valuable so we didn't have to chase anything against Costa Rica on that last game, which would have been brutal. So... It just was such a valuable point. Otherwise, we would have been finishing in fourth if we had lost to Mexico there. And I just love the, the initiative. I, I, I love the drive, the energy, all the intangibles. And on top of that, the tactics I thought were spot on. We created a couple chances. We were tough to break down. And I thought just in terms from because the, the knock on this team is that we're not necessarily very good over 90 minutes. And I thought for 90 minutes, we were very good in this game. And it proved to be a very valuable point. Uh, Heath, I'm going to come to you. What was your best collective performance from the squad? Uh, actually, let me ask you a question real, real quick on that, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Do you think of 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 the of the answers we're going to get to? Because mine was the U.S. against Panama in terms of collective performance. That was one where we saw in 2018 what needed to happen, and that's what I compare it to: is this moment of like, this is the time. We didn't get the point. We could have gotten three points at Mexico. We didn't. We got a point. Fantastic. I love that performance. It was great. But this was the time to show up. This was mm-hmm. the time to arrive against a team who was also trying to show up, who had to show up. And the U.S. absolutely battered them. And I thought that, for me, from a collective performance, wasn't the greatest in terms of player for player, in terms of player ratings across the board. But as a collective performance where you know you've been in those games where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the pressure's on, you're in the locker room, and everybody's saying, today is the day. We're not going to let each other down. We've got each other's backs. And all those things that I'm making up that I'm assuming happened, uh, that's where I I give the U.S. versus Panama in that one. But, Jimmy, uh, I guess my question back to you on that one was, and, and for Charlie also when we get to him, which of these do you think best prepares uh, these? We're giving these collective performances. Which of these performances do you think is the most replicable to what a World Cup match would be like? I think in Mexico is going yeah. to be like that. And uh, it just has all the elements. You're playing a tough <clears throat> opponent. You have to be structured in a way. You know, another little thing that I noticed about that in the game in Mexico that I really appreciated was the discipline of our outside backs, where sometimes when we're playing an opponent especially at home where we think we're a little bit better than them. Sometimes Odessa and Anthony Robinson will bomb forward together and we lose a little bit of that balance. But I thought the overall team discipline against Mexico mm-hmm. was so, so good. And you're going to need to replicate that, but also not where you are dropping too far deep or you're too high. I just thought everything was really spot on from, from that perspective. And I meant to talk to Walker Zimmerman when we had him on not too long ago about about that but uh, that's getting in the weeds a little bit but you i just thought bre- that, you that mean game- my breakout player you talking about my breakout yeah your breakout player, player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so that's kind of where i was leaning charlie would you say collective collective performance from this group? collective performance for me was the two dos zero win uh, against mexico nice. and and the home dominance it, it 
Mexico didn't really sniff uh, an opportunity except for the one that uh, Chucky Lozano had and, and Zach Steffen came up big. And, right. and it was also a big moment for him because we hadn't really seen him all, tested all that much and people were questioning he's not getting you know significant playing time in Man City. Can he come up with those moments where you need him to, to make that big save? And he did. And for me, that was the most complete performance against, you know, arguably the best uh, opponent in CONCACAF. So my second one would have been the draw at Mexico. Same thing, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, the reason why I guess it wasn't was because he didn't get the three points. Right. But ultimately, you were tested in, in the toughest place to play in CONCACAF, and you were you were the team that were on the front foot. You were the better team, I'd mm-hmm. say, over the course of 90 minutes. And I think we they earned the country's respect after that because people, people have been talking and – you know, all the chatter about how negative this team plays and the selection is not right and everything worked out except for, for the result. We just didn't finish. Everything else was, I think, was a 10. The, the team selection, the attitude, the mentality, the, mm-hmm. the, the approach, mm-hmm. even even uh, instances with the game. Um, our big stars delivered, our, our, our game changers delivered game-changing yeah. moments. Yeah, so. the, the World Cup, for me, you're only going to get a couple chances just like that. Mm-hmm. And can you finish those chances? Are really going to make or break whether we get out of the, the group or not? I mean, and so that's why I like that Mexico game in Azteca as well, is that we created really good chances. Now, obviously, the end game is to finish those, but but that's how it's going to look. You're going to get like two or three looks against Iran and England, and maybe even less. You might just get one clean look. I mean, when I remember England versus Germany in the Euros, Thomas Muller had that one breakaway. But that was it. Germany really didn't have any other looks. And when they missed that opportunity, you could see them all deflate. And so we have to make sure, obviously, we take advantage of those. This goes uh, for every nation, right? you got to score your goals when you get the good chances. All right, let's move on to best moment. And whose turn is it to go first? I'm going to go to Charlie on this one. Charlie. Jimmy, you go first. You never go first. I just went went on the collective performance. But, But Okay, fine. I'll go best moment. I'd say four goals in one half versus Honduras. We've already kind of talked about it, so... I don't need to go too far into it, but we were down 1-0 in this game. Mm-hmm. And we went with a lineup that wasn't necessarily working. And I thought the in-game management at halftime for Greg Berhalter, I think this is a big moment for Greg Berhalter in particular and his staff, that the tinkering isn't working. Let's just put our best guys in their best positions and let's see what happens. And we responded with four great goals. Anthony Robinson actually came on and, and for George Bellow and, and came on and scored within the first five minutes of the, the second half, which I really think was the catalyst for us to continue to score more goals and gave us that confidence. It's not easy to win in San Pedro Sula. Up until that point, Honduras looked pretty good. This was the third game of the window, and they were they were, they were were tough. And they, they should have beat Canada and Canada in that first game, and they didn't. So they were still with a lot of confidence. This wasn't Honduras at the end when they were already knocked Un- out. Unraveled, yeah. Yeah, they completely unraveled, and, and we had them unraveled. And what I really liked about it, and why I say best moment, is that it was in this second half when we were scoring these goals, we were like, holy shit. These guys are good. Our guys are good. And look at them. When they're playing with confidence and enjoying themselves, they cannot be stopped. And it was just – it was infectious for me as a fan to see how good this team could be. And for them, I think what was cool too is that you could could see them looking at each other like, we are really good. Now let's just keep going, you know. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they went and got four and really continued to step on the throats of Honduras was awesome. And I thought that was a a turning moment for for World Cup qualifying, not only for the players – but also for Greg Berhalter and his staff. Yeah, Jimmy, I agree with this one um, also just because of the fact that, again, a lot of our results, you go back to Nations League, you go back to Gold Cup, they were they were won by grit and determination and right. fight and like these types of things that we have that we connect this U.S. men's national team to that, and you go, whoa, they have all these things. But that was one where they flipped a switch and they were doing combination play, uh, the rhythm of the game, the press of the game. They did all those things. The, the intangibles that we talked about, the fight and all that stuff was was also part of that. But they also showed a level of, of an ability to beat other teams. And that's why I also went with the second half versus Honduras, just four goals in, in one half. Because it was just one of these things where you just I just saw them come to life in a way that mm-hmm. wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, Mexico should probably beat us in the Nations League final. But we got a few big moments, individual moments, and we just fight like hell. Uh, this was a little bit more of like comprehensive half where I was like, okay, there's something in this team. There's something in this group. And and Charlie, you're going back to the well one more time for beating Panama. Here, here we go. Might as well, because it was the best moment. <laughs> 2018, 
you fail to, to, no, to make the World Cup. And, and I, I get the second half. It was so significant against Honduras. But at the end of it, people were like, man, yo, Peralta was, was, was crazy for picking that lineup in the first place. It wasn't like a, hey, we're, we're back to where it was more of a frustration because why did we, why did we have to make those changes at half? You know, why did the team have to play like that to begin with? And, and, you know, you played some players out of position or some players got an opportunity that probably really shouldn't have. This game was, you know what, what's at stake? You win basically and you're in. Everything mm-hmm. boils down to this moment. You've had so many ups and downs. You've had great performances. You've had good performances. And you've had horrible performances. All of it, None of that really matters now. Everyone has to show up and perform. And when we won 5-1 and we did it in that way, the team celebrated like they had won. They had, they're going to the World Cup. And they basically did, um, barring an absolute meltdown disaster right, that right. Had, would be unforeseen. So um, it was a joyous moment because – one Christian, your best burger is a hat trick, but you're winning five one, and, and you basically said, "Hey guys, we're going back to the World Cup. We 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 did what we set out to do." So for me, that that's got to be the best moment. No, yeah, of course, of course. But I want to spread it around, and I think there yeah, was some, yeah. some learning. We can mention it. for sure, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on to MVP. This was actually a difficult one for me in some capacity. Wow! Only, yeah. only, only because I was trying to decide on who was the out-and-out MVP of the team? And I think it kind of changed from game to game. Sometimes it was Pulisic, sometimes Brendan Aronson, Ricardo Pepe. Sometimes it was one of our center backs, our goalkeeper. Uh, but, but when you think about an MVP, I think about being the glue of a team, somebody who's keeping it all together, the mm-hmm. most important, maybe not on the stats, but just the one that, that is a leader, that is driving the team forward that is doing the, the the thankless work in different spots of the field. And I think I think we all agree here. Tyler Adams. We all mm-hmm. picked Tyler Adams. So that those are my thoughts on him. And, and as I started to think about it a little bit more, it's up he became a more obvious choice. But when he fits into my definition of an MVP and being the glue of the team, and the fact that he is the out-and-out captain, they can give the armband to Pulisic at times or Walker Zimmerman, but, but Tyler Adams embodies – a captain. I'm proud that he's our captain. I, I love that he's representing us. I, I love his his approach to the game and how much it matters to him. He cares. Not to say the other guys don't, but like just the way that he embodies that that enthusiasm and passion for the sport uh, really fires me up. So it's it's very cool to see him wear the captain's armband. Heath, I'll come to you. Why Tyler Adams? Yeah, all the things that you said. Uh, I, there is just a pride that he has in his willingness to defend in tough moments, his willingness to put out fires and help the team in a lot of ways that Jimmy, we're defenders, right? We know that that's the first priority, right? Midfielders. It's harder to find somebody with that type of mentality. That's willing to sacrifice all the other fun stuff that you want to do in a game to, to keep a team in the match, to be able to bomb back, to put out like, you know, allow your fullbacks to take more risks. All the things that were benefits of having a player like him on the field, I think, are, are unbelievable. And it's just his energy, his attitude, his r- relatability as a person. I know that doesn't really count, but like as an MVP, there's just so many factors about his game that, again, maybe weren't there in the big flash moments of Christian Pulisic scoring a hat trick or scoring a goal against Mexico in a big moment or Weston McKinney scoring against Mexico. These kinds of things that are the glory moments, I still go back to none of that. I think about like none of this is possible without Tyler Adams is what I'm saying. Like you're missing Tyler Adams in this World Cup qualifying campaign. We might be giving up a couple more points along the way that change the, the, the whole trajectory of all this. And that's a great way to say it. Charlie, your thoughts on Tyler Adams? Just his consistency, uh, what, he, what he meant to the team, uh, the respect that the team had in him. And, and he played with, with his heart and you, you could see that. And for me, you know, I look at that Mexico game in Azteca he was everywhere. He put out fires left and right. And, and some people probably wouldn't notice necessarily all the work that he did, but he, him just chasing a player or cutting out a passing line, lane took away a scoring opportunity, and you would have never known because the mm-hmm. ball went mm-hmm. to somewhere else and they retained possession. Right. But it was through his work that allowed the U.S. to be so good defensively in Azteca Stadium. And that's what we saw from him every time he went out. It was it was the the work rate, the consistency, the determination, and he wasn't doing it for for plaudits. He wasn't doing it for 
the media or for for a sponsorship deal. Yeah, like how you strikers track back sometimes to do a tackle, so the so the stadium exactly. goes wild, you know. So that Coca Cola comes in. All you gotta do is one, one track one back, good, one good track back to do the slide tackle. You stand up and you say, "Yeah," and you see yeah. everybody I'm defending, that's, and then that was it. That's good. That's that's we call that the Taylor Twelve and special. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke for for just a handful of us, and and uh, I I hope that Taylor gets that. But Greg also said in the comments that the consistency of Tyler Adams is really what put him over the top, and he really appreciated our choice. If you have any other thoughts on who should be MVP, hit us up in the comments or ISWT Pod on Twitter. All right, let's move on to best goal, Charlie. I'm going to go to you because we have the same thing, and it was a bombasso. This isn't the most important goal. I want to throw that out there. This isn't the most important goal. It's just nope. the best goal, and it was Sergio yes. Dess's bombasso against Costa Rica. Tell us more about it, it, it Charlie. And if it wasn't this goal, it would have been Christian's goal where he takes it down, turns, megs the guy, and, and puts it in. Bro, yeah. bro um, Timo Weah beating four guys against Jamaica to hit off the, the, the back post and in, like that's not that's, – that, that was do an it important goal. Got, got it, us it, it, but it's that not top nasty. two. It's, it's nasty, not top two. Um, yeah, Serginho Dest coming in from the right side to his, his less dominant left foot. And just spanks it past the best goalkeeper in Concacaf and Kayla Navas, upper ninety. I mean, that for me, from your right back, just fantastic. That's and, the most two-footed man I've ever seen. By the way, I don't know. Are we calling okay. it less dominant? Mm, okay, like, fine, fine. But but what I want to say about that is that yes, we gave up an early goal to, to Costa right, Rica. <laughs> yeah, we gave up an early goal to Costa Rica. So that yeah. one before halftime, getting into the locker room at one-one is much different than going down to Costa Rica at one zero and like, Oh shit, here we go. So that there was, there was some, in terms of importance, it still had a little bit of that with it with regard to team away in Jamaica, still an important goal, but we scored first. And so it did help dictate a little bit of the terms, but, but kind of getting back into it, making it even, I think gives Des a bit of an edge and it was a bombasso. Heath, what are you going with? I went with actually a team, the team goal against Canada. It was like seven, eight passes. It was one of the few times that I remember in qualifying where we had really good rhythm. It went up, back, over, then a next pass, and then an overlap who cuts it across. I think Brennan Aronson scores that goal. But, but he initiated me, the whole movement, right? Yeah. Was back pressing. Yeah, exactly. And it was so it started in the midfield and it just had this sequence of events that I think are beautiful. And I think this team has the potential to really have and is going to have to have if we want to compete in World Cups against teams and be able to break them down any, or in qualifying against low blocks is that combination play, just moving the ball, pulling players in and out. I mean, they were pulling Canada all over the place in that buildup. That led to the goal, obviously, performance-wise for the team or the end result wasn't great. But that was a moment for me. It reminded me also of, of, of the Honduras game of just a few of these sequences that you're like mm-hmm. almost like training ground sequences, which I think this, this, team, all ha- this, this team has so much technical quality that if we can just start to connect or build a con- have some sort of connective tissue that starts to string these, these these plays together, we could be so much more dangerous than we currently are. Uh, but that was one that stood out for me as 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 the best goal because it was just a, a really team oriented goal. You know what was the chef's kiss to that whole play? This was the home game against Canada, the second game of the qualifying window. Was the timing of Anthony Robinson's run? He is his timing to wait for it to develop, and then his commitment to get there ultimately set up him within a full stride to play it right across to, to Brendan Aronson for the tap in. And that was against a very good, as you mentioned, Canada team that's very well organized. So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good goal, but let's be honest, me and Charlie are right. Sergio Dest. Yeah, I mean, every day. I knew you guys, I knew somebody was going to go with Dest. So I was kind of just like, I, I, I got to go somewhere else. With it. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. And you all can't right. deny the goal. And you went with a team goal. Like I, I would have expected you to go to Waya or, or. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I looked at Waya as a bunch of times and I was like, yeah, he beats these guys and he, then he swims the last guy, smacks it with his left foot, which is really impressive. But I, I just, this one to me, again, when I just look at this team and I think, and I see how Gio Reyna plays at his club and I see how Brendan Aronson plays at his club, I'm like, why can't we play like that? Why can't we have this combination play where there's a rhythm to the game and an understanding of like where the next pass is all the time? And I feel like sometimes we're close to that. That was an example of it actually paying off. Yeah, it was nice. It was a good goal. And I, and I appreciate what it symbolizes as well because it shows us the potential of what we're You guys are of. selfish. That's what it is. You guys are selfish. I don't you know. know. The dust one was about... bombasso. All right, let's talk about our last one. The best utility player, our last award for World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF for the U.S. Yep. national team. We're all over the shop. 
Yeah. And uh, Heath, I'm coming to you first. Yeah, this me one. And Charlie have gone first a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he doesn't really depends, fit the. It depends he, on how he, you yeah. define utility. Yeah, right? I I define utility in the fact that uh, similar to how Charlie defined him as as his his breakout uh, star, that he's a player that I have like. If I'm building the team sheet, Yunus Musa is one or two on this team mm-hmm. because he's not going to score the goals like Weston McKinney is. He's not going to uh, you know, be good in the air like that. He's not going to do what Christian Pulisic can do. But when I think about the fact that the littlest moments that make the difference at the international level of being able to turn out of pressure, to be able to break lines of pressure on the dribble, to do all these things that force a team to go, oh, man, like we got to respect this a little bit more. we got to sit back. I, gotta, I can't overcommit on this guy now. He has all these things. And when I think about how he plays – at the club level, that he can play on the wing, he can play in the central midfield. He can be a he could be a, a kind of a false ten, or he can be an, an eight, or you know, kind of how those hybrid positions of the two higher players in a three man midfield. I think he could do that job because he can play on uh, on the wing like he does at Valencia. And so when I think about that, I just go, you can move anybody you want in and out of the team. Okay, Tyler Tyler Adams as well, but you can move anybody around. And I'm still putting Yunus Musa as like my replacement. Oh no, no. Uh, uh, Brendan Aronson that day, okay, put Yunus Musa on the, in, on the wing if, if you need to stuff the midfield with something else. Like if, uh, He's just, when I think about utility, I think about the fact that I need him around all the time, and if he doesn't fit in the exact spot because there's a specialty reason for it, he fits somewhere else on the field that day. Okay, no, I like that shout, and uh, I could see him fitting this role and also the breakout star. Charlie, who are you going with now for a best utility player? And, and I can see how Heath uh, can, can say you can really input uh, – you, you, get Yunus Musa to kind of play anywhere uh, because he has the qualities to do it. But he's not he's not proven in all those those areas. Kellen Acosta, on the other hand, as a utility player, I also think of utility players, you're not set in, in any one position. And I'd say that's exactly what Kellen Acosta is. If you even play right back, left back, uh, a six, an eight, even a ten, he can he can do it. Or you're subbing in a player who can play of multiple positions. You need to you're you're you need, you're protecting the lead. Kellen Acosta is your utility player. You can use him to do anything, mm-hmm. whether it's bolstering the midfield, whether it's defending, whether maybe for set pieces you're bringing him in just for 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 attacking dead balls. Whatever the scenario is, I think Kellen Acosta is your 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 glue. Your 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 kind of your duct tape. He, he's probably not gonna. He's not a starter on this team when you're looking at the whole group as a whole when everyone's healthy he's not starting over Weston McKinney he's not starting over Tyler Adams he's not starting over Eunice Musa or Gio Reyna or Brendan Aronson you know the list goes on and on but he's one player that you can depend on and that's why he had the record for most consecutive games played with this group no matter who was playing you knew he was going to get on the field and and whatever tactics you're going to play if you're going to be aggressive you're going to sit back you're going to counter he he can he can make it work, and so I think Kellen Acosta is is a very talented player, and he is one of those guys that you're going to need come the World Cup because he can he can play so many different uh, positions for your squad. Yeah, I think in the true definition of the word, I'd say Kellen Acosta is probably the most utility because he's a bit of a spot starter, whereas the guys that we're mentioning, me and Heath, are looking more like starters. The only reason I brought up Walker Zimmerman is because he didn't even start. World Cup qualifying with us. Wasn't even a part of the October windows. Didn't play in the first. And then he came in and was somewhat of a revelation by being just steady. He just was steady. And he brought some leadership. And I think he helped bring some some consistency in the spine of the team, which we needed because John Brooks seemed to be on the outs and now clearly is on the outs with Greg Berhalter. And some of our younger center backs are still younger center backs. And they're going to make some mistakes and lack that consistency that we need. So I brought him into the equation because I feel like he started as a utility player that turned into an absolute stud muffin for us. Now, he did play for us in the Gold Cup. Didn't, wasn't part of the Nations League. Played for us in the Gold Cup, but got hurt in the third game against Canada, third group stage game, and then was not a factor. It was James Sands and Miles Robinson that played center backs and kind of saw it out as we beat Mexico in the final. And then he just couldn't get back in the team. And uh, that was a bit unfortunate because now we can see the qualities that he would have brought. And you wonder, if he had been in the team earlier, would we even been in that position? Would we have given up certain goals? Would we have played a little bit better? That's just one of those X factors, a lot of what ifs there. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Walker Zimmerman. I'm glad. Well, that was that, clear. Uh, you just wanted to give some center back love. Because, I did, I did, yeah. I did. There's no versatility with the center back. 
that, no, well, but hey, hey, here's here's hey, the thing. Hey, hey, I'm hey. blaming Alex for this because <laughs> we didn't define utility, right? If utility is used as a noun, guys, it's the state of being useful, profitable, or beneficial. If it's used as an adjective, it's useful, especially through being able to perform several functions. So yes, there wasn't fair. a clarity there. You, or Dr. functional Dr. rather Dr. than attractive is another adjective uh, way in which Well, it's you know used, what? So. I'll, I'll say that in terms of versatility here, Charlie, that I think that Walker – is good on and off the field. He's he's good in the locker room. And <laughs> he's, he's good, good at life, dude. He's good at life. He's, he's a good parent at life, now. Dude. You know, All right. like those were our awards. Those were our awards for the Concacaf World Cup qualifying. Uh, biggest takeaways of this window. Any final thoughts, Heath Pierce? I will come to you. No, I mean I didn't. I I, I didn't have too many run-on sentences today. So a step forward for me might. Uh... You are a doctor now. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah doctor. I am. I am a doctor as well. Thank you. Uh, no, I, it was. This was a. This was a great episode. I was glad to, you know, kind of have a discussion. Obviously, we used the awards to sort of elaborate more on. We could probably, if we sat for twenty minutes, we'd agree on probably the same things in a mm-hmm. in a small window. But to open it up to to debate, I think is the whole the whole idea here. Instead of just sort of swimming with the current all the time. I love that, Charlie. Final thoughts. Uh, I love the show. I mean, I love it too. It, it was it was a, it was a good a good award show. Um, you know, it, it's uh, yeah, flexing on on the rest of the pod. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sammy, I just want to make sure everybody that's that doesn't see this on YouTube can hear it. Sammy says in the comments, Charlie flexing on the rest of the pod by using each of his house's two hundred rooms. Yeah, because every he's time yet we to do use a podcast, the same backdrop. Yeah. He's yeah. to use the same yeah. backdrop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's yeah, got I themed mean, rooms too. Like one of them's like a deep mahogany all wood for those of you that, that that's where he to sits, and then sits now, his now he's yeah. in like the gallery, the, the art gallery side of the place, which is beautiful. No, thank you. Um, no, I, I, I just have a lot of fun with this and, and I'm looking forward to our next guest. Yeah, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm just excited for the rest of the week. And obviously as we continue to build up for the World Cup, those are my final thoughts. So make sure you guys tune in with us on Thursday. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Show- to Qatar, by the way, it is being discussed. I don't, I don't know if anything's been finalized yet, Charlie. I, I mean, they they should consider it. They Just should throw that out there. Just throwing that out there. Let us know. You know what? Why don't you hit up our bosses on Twitter, <laughs> ISWT Pod on on the Twitter, and see if we can make that happen. You know what we should do? We should take this thing on a barnstorming tour before the team actually loses. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. loses before the team actually leaves. Yeah, loses. What am I throwing out there? That's bad juju. But before the team app uh, leaves, maybe we do it around some of the friendlies. I don't know. Again, like just that. just brainstorming with everybody. But that is it for today. And soccer we trust is over. We'll see you guys on Thursday, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then if you want to hit listen to it at any time at your desire, you can find us on any of. Uh, the podcast platforms that are out there will come out to you on Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Don't worry about the times. Just turn on your notifications, hit like and subscribe, and you won't miss a thing. So on behalf of producer Alex, producer Dez, Charlie Davies, and Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening to Soccer We Trust. We'll see you next time. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 